Welcome to Swords and Mental Health, the place where the modern study of the ancient art of swordplay and mental health intersect. I'm your host, Jana Datan. Today is part one of the Mindset series, and our episode is called Learning to Trust Your Gut. And we have three special guests today. Um, go ahead and start. Fran, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Fran Laquata, and I am lead instructor at the School of the Sword Godalming in the UK. And we have Katie here. Hi, it's Katie DeFutro. I am in Connecticut, and I spent out of Sela Harfex School in Oxford. And we have Kimmy. Hello, my name is Kimmy or uh, Kimberly Roseblade, whichever one you may or may not know me by. And I am a femme them theorist that is located in uh, Toronto, Canada. Okay, so this is a topic that we've all been talking about for a few weeks now. Um, thank you again for coming. Um, so we were, uh, what I wanted to do for this series is to have a resource for um, beginners or people who are coming back into HEMA and um, feeling like it's hard to navigate certain things because um, either they don't feel heard or they're not comfortable about certain situations and they don't know how to either like manage it or there's not a lot of resource for them because we talk about training our bodies training you know with drills with our swords right like like getting stronger but there's not a lot of people talking about how we could do it with our minds as well um last year one of the biggest um feedbacks i've gotten from um from people who who listened to the toll of tournament episode was that it made them think about how do we prepare ourselves and our students before a tournament because it's a high stress situation. And, you know, tournaments are starting back up this year. There's a lot more than there was in the, la- in the past two years. So, um, you know, um, I wanted to invite um, Katie, Fran, and Kimmy to talk about, um, you know, being able to know your triggers, uh, being able to cope during a high stress situation and what we can do to be able to support each other as a community not just you know showing a, a drill or showing the best gear out there but also like how do we take care of our minds and our emotional health um so i will give um the mic to kimmy um kimmy <laughs> well- I think one of the most important things to realize is whether we're talking about HEMA or we're comparing this to other aspects of our lives, when we have experienced trauma, trauma happens to us and we store it inside of our body when a situation happens that we not only could not prepare for, so it took us by surprise and it has impacted us in a way that has changed our reactions to situations and impacts us in this sort of way. This means that we have 
to work on reprogramming ourselves and how we react to different situations. But this has to come first by cultivating a relationship of trust with yourself. Right. And that can be very difficult for um, for some people, um, you know, especially like in, in, in from from the time that I started HEMA to like this day, like there is like this kind of like collective, like like conscious, almost like a collective consciousness, right? Like there's like this, this, there's like things that people talk about like publicly, right? That, that, you know, that it's okay to like, you know, join and stuff. And then there's like certain like little pockets of people and they talk about other things that you don't really speak about publicly. And like in my experience, like it kind of starts getting kind of, it makes me feel conflicted about a lot of things. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's been helpful for me to find like-minded people who have been kind of understanding about, you know, how I'm feeling and not feeling judged or like feeling like, you know, I'm not going to be accepted into the community just because like, I feel a certain way. Um, and sometimes I feel like, you know, like with, with the stuff that we've talked about in the past, like, you know, the, you know, preparing yourself for, for a tournament, right. It's a high, it's a high stress situation. And Katie was talking about, you know, being familiar with your triggers, right. And familiarity and how do you do that? How do you cope with it? Right. Tournaments are like the number one thing. Um, you know, and, and, and honestly, like even in, um, even when you're drilling or sparring in the club, there, there has been times where, you know, it gets a little stressful, especially if you're new. Right. Um, but like at the same time, I think, you know, trusting yourself, but also like, do you also trust the people that you're talking to, to be able to address it and acknowledge it, right. That you're stressed because you're stressed out because I feel like, you know, there is this like oh, this is just how it is, right? Like, mm. oh, I, I feel scared. Or like, oh, somebody, you know, somebody hit me too hard. Well, this is just how it is, right? Yes. Like, um, very recently, though, um, I was talking to a friend and I was talking about like, oh, I, I'm feeling, I'm starting to feel confident in my fencing. Um, I've done like a few tournaments and I'm starting to kind of, you know, um, familiarize myself and how to like deal with like, you know, high stress situations. I'm still not 100%. And then I was like, maybe I should look into opens. And then the friend goes, well, you have to pick what kind of opens you're going to do because they are super intense. And so my, my thing is like, okay, so there is this like understanding that like opens are not safe for like some people. And Which so, is- yeah, so I, it's just like, it's all of those things that are like, you know, and connecting it to like how emotionally wrecked I was at my first tournament and then like connecting to like, okay, so it might happen again then, right? Why don't we bring this back to Katie and what she was talking about in regards to like learning how to identify these sorts of triggers that can come up in these high stress situations? Yeah, I was going to say, ultimately, like, just responding off of what you were saying is, I mean, the goal is everybody would be supportive and able to support somebody who may be anxious in the moment who may be experiencing past trauma Mm -hmm. in the moment. 
but it does come down to us. We have to be in control of ourselves. We can't rely on others. It's just a nice, um, you know, added bonus if somebody could be there for us. But I, I think that a huge part of it is knowing what might trigger you, how to deal with your anxiety specifically, mm-hmm. because obviously tournaments are one of those areas where you're going to have, I mean, you have your natural adrenaline and anxiety going just because it's, you know, something's on the line or it's a competition and that's normal and, and healthy. And everybody gets a little bit of that, almost the stage fright feeling. Right. However, those of us who may be neurodivergent, who have anxiety, mental health, anything like that, it, it's especially important that we go in knowing, hey, there's a limit to how much I can endure mm-hmm. and how can I how can I address this ahead of time or what can I do to like have, I always tell my students to have a toolbox. So what tools can you keep available to you to ground yeah. yourself and bring mm-hmm. yourself back? So maybe some of those things were you looking for more like suggestions or I think I think what I'm looking for um, really from um, from you three is you know um, building like community support because you know you're right like you know ultimately you are in charge of how you are going to set your boundary and what you can and can't do or if you can go on right but like um, as you know as I was saying earlier there hasn't been a lot of resource for you know either like instructors or mm-hmm. you know other um like uh, beginners that are coming into HEMA when it you know what to really look for right I mean what 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 kind of support am I able to get I, I guess is you know what stand what standard do instructors who have this kind of um a style right have to offer for their students um, again, you know, like I've said, like all of the things that I've been exposed to is just like physical training, drills, right. learning the place. But we also again, stand with the physical aspect of it. Like it's silly for us to not understand the physical, mental and emotional connection. And any one of us that has probably gone through therapy has understood the somatic connection between that. That is also going to be related to our healing. So I feel that there's two different things that kind of need to be addressed. The first one is, if you are an instructor who is teaching something like martial arts, even if you're working with a student that has no prior history of trauma, you are still engaging with a student that you are going to put into high stress situations, yeah. which causes a physical and chemical reaction not dissimilar to trauma. And you could also be very uh, likely working with a student who also has a past relationship and trauma and learning how to work within those situations, how to recognize these things and dial it down. But also we have to look at the relationship between the self. And especially if you come from a background of previous trauma, it's so difficult to learn to trust anyone, yourself included. In fact, yourself first and foremost. A lot of this is like, you know, you say we have to learn our triggers. We have to learn how to like say these things. Mm -hmm. I think we need to recognize the first major hump that has or hurdle that needs to be um, crossed in the path of getting there is learning to identify within the self Mm -hmm. what parts of my gut are telling me something legitimate and what parts of my gut are reacting from a place of past trauma. And that can be very difficult to discern at first. 
especially right. if we don't have, as you were saying, Yana, the community support and other people that are willing to talk with you and walk with you and work with you through this because it can't be done inside of a, a vacuum or a box. Right, right, right. And um, yeah, I, I met um, a uh, an instructor out from uh, Northern California who really loved the Tolo tournament episode. And he said that it made him think about how they prepare their students for tournaments. And so one of the things that um, he said that he um, started kind of um, suggesting his students do is do some some breathing in between the matches if they start getting kind of worked up take a deep breath and then exhale one two three four and that made me like and I, I was like wow this is like so awesome that you know we're able to like make those um you know ma- make those kind of like um I guess make people like not really think but like make, make people considerate of people who might not be feeling the same way that they because I've met some people like going to tournaments is nothing to them like my boyfriend like he's excited for them it doesn't affect him at all or anything and I'm over here just like you know in agony like you know I'm like how am I supposed to like get myself like you know mentally prepared for this right and he's just like la di da di da you know like just you know doing my drills every day um, so yeah, like, I, and and I think like, um, especially w- um, what I want to know, especially um, and, and this is a question specifically for, for Katie, and obviously like you guys can like, um, add in as well is um, you know, what you know, what would you do for for you know uh, a student who might have had you know past trauma and you know like high in- high intensity situations are a big trigger for them, like tournaments especially, like what kind of advice would you give to instructors who want to be able to be supportive to their students, but they pro- they don't necessarily have the tools or like have the type of um, experience or resources, like just simple things like what that guy was saying, he was talking about like breathing. Yes, Fran. This is where the corner comes in um yeah as, a, as an instructor um if you can't be there then i would send as your student's corner i would send another student along to be their corner because as we've discussed in the total tournament episode you're just in your reptile brain and mm-hmm. you don't have the uh, evolved mind um engaged unless you are a stone cold phlegmatic fencer yeah, uh, who's at the top of their game? Most of us, like under the pressure of tournament, we lose that um, trained element of our mind, and we just go back to our basics. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. us, uh, you know. We go down to uh, a tiny pinpoint of focus on our opponent or whatever it is that's stressing us out, and we need that secondary brain, which is our corner, yeah. to give us simple advice whether it's like you're that coach you described say breathe mm-hmm. um or someone Definitely. to say drink mm-hmm. um and you know things like that we think of a coach as someone who's giving us tactical advice like the best way to deliver advice um, that i've heard is not to be too complex in your instructions but just use one word instructions so like if you know that your fencer is always turning their foot away Mm-hmm. Their foot and they'll point their foot at their, at their opponent 
if you know that they're getting hit in their head a lot, just say, guard your head. Um, and then they'll, you know, they'll go into a higher guard for their next bout, etc. But if you start adding in these other um, protective measures um, for their well-being, like breathe, drink, you know, mm-hmm. breathing and drinking water are like the basic things that we yes. need. <laughs> and they're things that people who are under stress don't do. Um, so, yeah, I'd One say that's where students of mine that I've coached in their corner uh because some of them can actually really benefit from this when they come back I'll ask are you receptive to touch or no touch some of them just want to come back and a simple hand placed on the small of the back between the shoulder blades with the word breathe can completely reset their entire system and it's not overtly complex but Mm -hmm. that's a conversation you have beforehand touch or no touch but that's also one I have found can sometimes help. Both Fran and Kimmy are totally right. When somebody's really heightened in any state, you don't want to have a ton of language. Mm-hmm. So breaking down those commands, like Fran was saying, breathe, yeah. drink, he- you know, co- head, cover your whatever. Having that open communication, I think, is the number one thing any coach, any instructor, anybody in any situation, HEMA or not, can feel. You know, somebody's heightened. You need to have communication. Um, beforehand, like Kimmy was saying, and knowing mm-hmm. what that person needs. And really that at the end of the day, if we ask people, hey, what do you need when you're starting to go into this state? Oh, yeah. well, you know, what do you need when you're really anxious from me? People yes. often, especially who are adults, sort of know what works for them. So having a coach ask their students, what do you need from me as a coach or an instructor? And then in that moment, imp- impl- um, implementing it, even having their own codes, if that works, not like yeah. football kind of codes, but just <laughs> like, you know, if you, if they're always not winding or something, you say this thing, again, reducing that language and making sure they're breathing in, in water and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I love hearing that there's an instructor out there who's teaching breathing techniques. I think yeah. if, we, if we made that yeah. a, a, a universal thing so it's not just like oh well you suffer from this or you have mental health or background if we made that as part of the curriculum as much as like throwing an overhaul or like doing something like that here we're going to work on how to breathe when you're in the middle of a tournament because everybody can work on that and it doesn't single anybody out I think Mm -hmm. having it just be a standard operating procedure is a great way to include your students open up that for dialogue so a nice. lot of people might not want to say, hey, I suffer from high anxiety. I don't know what to do with myself. But if yeah. you kind of open, open up and have an environment where, like, we do care about mental health, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about how this makes us feel. I think that alone will really open the door for others to come forward and say, hey, what do you know, what can I do here? Um, I'm also having we were talking about how we train our bodies. We can train our minds. I, I know as a student myself, when I first started, I because I, I do have high anxiety, I am a mm-hmm. perfectionist through my OCD, everything I got wrong in my head or even audibly, I'd be like, man, I, I'm never going to get this, which is like a horribly fixed mindset. So if we come at teaching our students in a growth mindset that like, yeah, I'm not going to get this yet, or I'm not going to know that whole Imagine. idea of, of, yeah, the power of yet. 
So having that mm. be the club culture of like, if somebody says, oh, I suck or like, oh, I'm never going to get this. We stop and kind of make it a point to say, no, 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 this is how we think here. Like, we're going to try to have a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that, op- again, opens us up to less critical of ourselves, judgment of ourselves, having mm-hmm. a no judgment of others. Because I think a big part of this, kind of going back to the like opens not being safe because everybody thinks like that's the big bad tournament. If we kind of open it up to where we're all learning something, it, it brings that scariness, brings it away from that. I, at least mm-hmm. that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Fran, were you going to add something? Yeah, I was just going to add a couple of things to what Katie was saying. Because um, when you talk, you were talking at the beginning about people being very um, worked up, mm-hmm. when we were sort of kind of, you know, I, I there's a phrase for it in education. I've forgotten what it is, but it's like when you're you're kind of people that are too high or too low. You're out of um, your window of tolerance. Window of tolerance. That's the mm-hmm. one. But it's kind of linked to anxiety, isn't it? Um, so if someone is um, too um, worked up, they're in their head, you know, they can't think straight, or and they're, they're just really uh, wound up and it's really hard to focus. Or if they just, if it's too low, they just don't care and they can't be bothered kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also happen if someone's dissociating and they might not be aware of it because we can, our brains, when we go into that fight, flight, freeze or fawn situation, mm-hmm. That could also look like not just being high anxiety in your head. How do I fix this? How do I do this? Blah, 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 blah. It could be a complete and utter shutdown response where it's not that they don't mm. care. They have just yeah. been so triggered that part of them has completely turned off from being receptive to learning or receiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've just been or, shut, shut off completely. Yeah. They're not able to reach that state. Um, so it is making me think about in terms because I've got a kid with ADHD so that's how I learned about that stuff and uh I'm waiting for my own diagnosis as as we speak um so and it reminds me of um hearing coaching conversations about arousal in sports which is a very similar concept Mm -hmm. so in order to be engaged with the activity you need an optimal level of arousal which is nothing to do with sexual arousal it's to do with your engagement and uh-huh. how excited you are to do the thing so if someone is hyper aroused they're just too uh energized and they the, their focus again can't be on the in the zone mm-hmm. and if they're hypo uh, aroused or too low then mm, again it's like they're switched off dissociated or whatever it's a, a case that they need to be brought back up to that optimal level of engagement mm-hmm. and uh you know sports psychology uses lots of different ways of doing this and you can you can witness this in uh in fences when they're uh if you look at them before during and after um tournament the hypo ones will be like really caught co- like really quiet and then mm. sometimes they'll have to, you'll see them have to like physically work themselves up, or like yeah. make themselves adrenalized by, I don't know, doing some push ups or something, but they'll do something to get themselves into that zone. So, yeah, I think what we, I was thinking of, I'm kind of, my brain's kind of going in lots of different directions right here, but it's what we've, we, Kimmy just pointed out is like sometimes the classic symptoms of anxiety and stress aren't as obvious if someone's kind of going right. really quiet into themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And another thing was like a separate issue is saying what we can, what can we uh, as tournament organisers and coaches whatever provide for people to make it a better experience. When I started by the sword, my my event, um, one of my instructors who is autistic had a meltdown, and I've never seen someone have a, a meltdown before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, what, what's up, what's up, what's up? She's like, I'm fine, I'll be fine, I just need to go and, I need to go somewhere and just have this meltdown and I'll come back. And I was like, that's it, from now on, I'm always going to have a place where people can just yep. go. Yeah. That's quiet. And you get these in lots of public buildings now, there'll be toilets, showers, quiet rooms. We need, yeah. we, we can have just a quiet room. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer, just somewhere quiet where people can there, be quiet. Um, there is a lovely memory from the last uh, last day of Fact Chat um, a couple of years ago where there wasn't a quiet room, but there was a hallway, and all of us that by, like, Sunday afternoon that were not dissimilar to toddlers at this point, like, like Hema is still <laughs> day three of a fucking event. <laughs> we're overstimulated. We're tired. And we all found ourselves out in the hallway with a tarot deck. And like, we all just kind of sat there pulling cards in this little like circle. And it was like, I remember Katie and I are like, did we just start a coven? Is this? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, we did. We needed at that moment. It was just like, oh, here's our little quiet place to like, (sighs) and it's what it felt like when you walked out of like the tournament area in the big gymnasium, went around the corner. And then there was just this beautiful circle of fems and thems and tarot cards and ha. <sighs> and that same, oh, sorry. Yeah. And in that same hallway, I remember myself and another fencer laying with our legs up against the wall. So like laying on our backs with our legs up against the wall. And I know for myself, I was kind of regulating myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we've all been at a tournament or even a at class or sparring or whatever you want to say and you may see people off to the side you see some like fran was saying some people hyping themselves up doing push-ups or yeah around to their their headphones like listening to but there i think what is important and something that we should try to strive for as a community is like Mm -hmm. allowing moments like that where if somebody needs to regulate themselves if they need to step away and have a meltdown or or have a meltdown in the middle of the hallway you know whatever whatever making that more normalized because we all cope mm. with stress and anxiety and even just our bodies coming out of that high of and that adrenaline yeah just making it normal as normal as you would walk by somebody doing push-ups to get themselves ready if somebody's having an a, like an, a meltdown because they're autistic or they're regulating themselves like you know myself and that other fencer we're doing in at Fesha, we should make this more normalized. Like just keep walking. Or yeah. you yeah. know, maybe we can Why is one seen as a positive and one is seen as a negative? What are you doing? I'm gonna have a really good cry right now. And then I'm <laughs> and I'm gonna fight for brawlins and it's gonna be great. Yeah. yeah. How is that yeah. any different than what are you doing? I'm just doing my push-ups and my squats because I'm trying to hype myself up and I'm fighting for gold. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's um, actually, there was a moment um, during my first SoCal sword fight um, where I was, I was crying in between my, um, 
my matches because you know I've I've, we've, right. I've told this story before in other <laughs> podcasts, but I was like super stressed out. I've never done this before. I had no idea it was gonna be this intense. And I remember I um Chris um Kristen Argyle um who's one of the head instructors at my club was competing that day as well. Um, she came over to my pool, to my corner, and I think um, Rebecca Glass was also. Um, she was in my pool and I was like crying and um, the, both of them were like, yeah, it's okay. Like we've, we've done this before. It's fine. Like, it's okay to cry. And I was just like, cause I felt really bad. Cause like, I was like crying and I would like stop and then I would fight and then I'd start crying again. And it was so nice to hear two other women who, who's done, you know, like tournaments before say, Hey, it's okay to cry. It's actually quite normal. And so it made me feel better, but like, you know, I would have, it was something that I learned like at that moment that it was okay to feel that way, which helped. But like, you know, it was something that after that experience, I'm like, I want this to be an experience that like, you know, I want people to know that this is okay. Cause I didn't hear this. I didn't hear this until it actually happened to me. Let's talk about that relationship of trust again. So one of the things that we are very likely to do if we've had trauma, we are going to self-gaslight any reaction we have to a situation. So often what it takes is like, you know, as we're in our head saying, I shouldn't be crying. I shouldn't need this. Or I, I'm, I'm overreacting. I shouldn't have to ask my coach to do this, this, or this for me. I should be better. I should be more healed. Whatever sort of thing we're telling ourselves, we need to, you know, stop gaslighting ourselves. And sometimes it takes that outside force. In your case, Jonna, like these two other um, women, including um, Kristen, saying, no, crying? Totally normal. I cried two weeks ago at my last tournament, and I did that four weeks before that. Yeah. Like, and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm not some island sitting here who's too much or too traumatized or too special needs. This is okay. This isn't just okay. This is normal. This is a normal reaction. Yeah. Because like and that but, helps mm-hmm. develop that new relationship of trust. And sometimes it needs to come not just from in, within ourselves, but, but from, we can't heal inside of a freaking vacuum. It's true. It's we true because like, 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 like validation. Mm-hmm. Because as humans, we are wired to not just have to learn how to self-regulate. We are wired for co-regulation. We need both. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because like one of the things that like I felt that time, and I think it's something that like I've felt every single. So I've done three tournaments in long sword so far, and um, I don't have this problem Ooh. with small sword because. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's just easy for me. But longsword's always been like super intense, and I know I think a lot of people will agree that it's an intense weapon. But like at at, at some point in the, the in the last three times that I've done a, a, a longsword tournament, I always like think to myself like, why am I doing this to myself? Like this is hard. <laughs> it's stressful, you know. But like going in, I'm like, yeah, I love this. Like I love learning the art. You know, and like applying, uh, trying to apply it, but then you know, like you get into the tournament and all of that stuff that you try to like learn goes out the window, and you're just left there wondering, like, what the fuck am I doing to myself? Like, why am I stressing <laughs> myself out doing this fucking thing? Like, what is it? Like, um, I mean, there was a point, like at Combat Con 
2022. I didn't finish my um my my pool. I, it was my last match, and I I ate a really hard thrust to the face, and it um the person had yeah the 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 really uh, sticky rubber tip. And I actually got physically hurt from that. Remember you um, about yeah. That. And, and, you know, I was sitting there, I was just crying because I was so frustrated because I wanted to finish my pool. Um, and so I was like, okay, it's fine. Like, I know I'm not, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to power through the pain because that's stupid. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop. But then there was a point where I'm just like, why am I, why, why do I keep participating in this? Like, I always end up crying anyway. Like what 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 value do I get from this at some at, at one point every single time? I always ask myself. But then I just like, you What's know What's your answer? What's your answer? Because I love seeing my friends and I love fighting after all of the, you know, after all of the stress has disappeared, like I always like come back like just like feeling really good because you know, it's also like a way for me to like meet people who listen to the stuff that I put out, you know, who laugh at like the videos and the memes I make and, you know, make new connections and make new friends. Um, and that's why I keep doing it. Um, but also I like being able to like, I, 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 I'm on this like 20 week program as well. So it's like something that's completely new to like what I do before a tournament. So I'm actually like, changing the way I do it but like at the same time it's like is it this gonna even be so then here's a question for you sweetheart (laughs) if 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 you have had the conversation you're like why do I do this to myself when I just end up crying or I end up in a traumatized or like re-triggered state what it can you still do tournaments or can you still do these events without having to put yourself in that state and still get the chance to meet people uh meet like-minded mm-hmm. people or is there a reason specifically outside of friends meeting people getting out of like you know your your club and just that environment that you benefit from by putting yourself in that mm-hmm. high stress tournament specific environment and it's totally okay if you don't have an answer for that now no, but- i think i think the reason why i keep doing it too is that like i i I like seeing the progress in myself. Um, and also like, it's, it's definitely like personally like self-cultivation as well. Um, and this is something that Fran and I have talked about right from the beginning of our friendship is that like, you know, it's, it's, it's seeing where you are and then like looking at where you're at when you get to the other side. And I'm definitely on the other side because, and this is like a really like interesting story is when I was at the cutting tournament, um this past um january um i um i saw my ex there and he was talking to my friend he started and i was like why is he talking to my friend like the my friend knows all about the stuff that you know went down between me and him and then she comes back to me and she's like yeah he started talking to me and he said that he was really proud of me because he saw me at some tournament and I stabbed someone really good or whatever. And he like wanted to like make amends by like sending me a gift or whatever. And he was like thinking that he should try to talk to me. And I, my friend was like, no, do not talk to her. If you want to give her something like do 
give her space. Do it, do it through me. And I was like, first of all, friend, thank you for doing that because I don't want to have any kind of connection with this guy. But like, you know, it wasn't that like I'm completely like over that. But like, you know, because I, I know that I'm always going to see him at, at events. But like knowing that like, you know, like, like. And, and I don't really even think about it, but like that that gesture that he was trying to like do is that like I've 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 changed so much from the time that all of that went on in 2020 to that that day to that point that like he's like trying to like I don't know what he's trying to do either like make amends or like he's seeing me as a totally different person but like to me it's like it's not that I feel validated because I never did it for that's him. That's not trusting your gut. What's your gut telling you about the situation? Do you feel that that's genuine? Do you feel that that's safe and for it, you? I for me, for me it's never going to we're never going to connect. But the fact that he's trying to like make amends, you like he's trying just, to make amends for the right reasons or for his own selfish I, reasons. I think, I think, I think that it's for selfish reasons. I don't think that it has anything to do with him because I, I, and I've accepted the fact that he's never going to apologize to me. But like the fact that like he saw me at tournaments and he's heard of my name and he's, starting to be around people who know who I am and what I do in the community um I think he's starting to think oh oh I should probably like try to fix this thing with her which is never gonna we're never gonna I'm never gonna connect with this guy we're never gonna be friends we're never gonna be but I thought that it was interesting well you know thinking about like you know, like self, you know, like self cultivation. Like this person didn't want to have anything to do with me. This person discarded me from three years ago, right? And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, I'm so proud of them. Like they went from like, they went from like, you need to move on with your life. You need to cultivate your life. You know, you need to like figure your life out to like, oh yeah, I'm so proud of you. Like, where was that energy? So anyway, that was like you know it wasn't something that i was looking for from him like i i i've i've accepted the fact that like it wasn't going to go anywhere right that i'm never going to get an apology i'm never going to get uh, a a resolution but i thought That's it was so really weird. interesting that he would try and like reach out to me and like even not have the audacity to think that he wanted to be friends with me and talk no he doesn't not none of this is genuine and you're tr and and you need to trust your gut on that one yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like, it's just, you know, I, I'm always seeing him at certain, like, events because there's only so much, you know, in, happening in the West Coast and stuff. But I thought that it was, like, it, it, it wasn't, it was validating, but also, like, at the same time, it's like, whatever, bro. You know what I mean? Like, but, like, you know, just, like, the, you know, how how is he perceiving me now? Right? Like, again, like, you know, I didn't do this for him. Like, I didn't do this for anybody, but you know again it goes back to like I didn't find a space for myself so I made my own and then you know I had I had met you I've met Fran and all of these people who you know wanted to uplift my voice and stuff so it's it's been kind of interesting that's why I wanted to like one of the reasons why I want to keep going and you know like with the cutting tournament situation as well like 
if I never spoke about it, because nobody else was talking about it, as far as I know, like in, in, mm-hmm. in a public, you know, like discourse type, like I was doing, I don't think that a new stand would have been offered at that last tournament had I not raised the question directly and I had had I not raised the question for everybody. So that's one of the things that I that I like doing is because if I don't participate in these things, I'm not going to be able to like advocate for myself and advocate for other people like me. So there's like other things aside from like the sporty nature of being in tournaments, right? But at the same time, I'm like, also like, what am I doing you know, like for for my own like well being, like at what cost, right? So this is why I wanted to like start the series. Is how do I protect myself? Like how do I get you know the type of like mental health slash emotional health like support from people who know or people who have like y- yes, Kimmy. So it's not just about protecting yourself. It's about also trying to figure out how you can set yourself up for success as opposed to setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. We try to do it all too fast, too soon. If we Mm -hmm. try to speed up our healing, speed up um, our readiness for tournament, readiness for certain high impact situations. Like for example, if you're still finding yourself in combative drills, in the safety of your, like, you know, and familiarity of your fencing style, and you are still getting triggered, maybe you shouldn't be pushing yourself quite yet to yeah. be doing an open tournament away from your home city. You know, it's also setting realistic expectations because in being able to develop a sense of trust with yourself and trusting your gut, mm-hmm. do that by positive reinforcements, by taking these moments of little vulnerabilities and little goal setting that we can actually achieve achieving them, getting that positive reinforcement and feedback, and then taking the next step. But if we leap too far too quickly, the message we're going to send to ourselves is, well, I can't trust myself. I'm clearly not good enough. I'm clearly not worthy. Look at you. You fucked up again. You can't even do this, this, and this. Right. It's not just about self-care and what you can do in these situations, you know, to protect yourself. How can we set ourselves up in this vulnerable state of learning, of pushing our boundaries, of putting ourselves in high stress situations in a way that's going to allow me to succeed, even if it takes longer than I like or want, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but will allow us to develop more of that solid relationship of trust with self. Mm, Excellent point. Fran, Katie, do you guys have anything to add to that? Katie. <laughs> Is Katie still there? <laughs> Is Old the Bold still here? Is Old the Bold? We've lost yes, I'm her. Here. Oh no. Okay. Oh, yay! <laughs> yep, I'm here. Uh, I think Kim setting ourselves up for success. How do we do that? What does that look like? And again, how do we ask for that from the people around us? Right, right. Katie? Well, I think it's it's all about that like toolbox that I mentioned, that mm-hmm. proverbial toolbox. Like, what do you need going into this? Who do you need to talk to? 
going into a situation where you know that there's going to be some form of maybe a trigger or some reaction on your part. You know, like when I used to do tournaments, I would pack like things that I knew would bring me down or I'd have strategies in my head, like putting my legs up on that wall that time or Mm -hmm. having a certain, I used to have playlists specifically for like, here's my playlist to hype me up. Here's one to bring me down after I would tell my coach or whoever was in my corner, like, I need you to tell me that I'm like either sucking or doing a good job. Like, Mm -hmm. be honest. Um, And I've always taken in, maybe this is something others can do. And I have to give full credit to Lisa Lacido on this. My, one of my first tournaments, I'm sorry. She is a friggin' gem, by the way. The Just best. 10 seconds of appreciation for Lisa Lucido, everyone. Like, if you Woo-hoo, do not know her, her, you should. She is uh, absolute gold. Anyways, please continue, Katie. <laughs> specifically, specifically, um, she's very good about noting when somebody is anxious and mm-hmm. being, like, the best support to them. Yeah. Um, but she told me in one of my earlier tournaments, pick one thing that you want to do. Whether you do it successfully or not is not going to be the question. It's just, what do you want to try? And ever since that tournament, which was years ago, I've done that every single time. Mm-hmm. And I think going preparing yourself in that way, so maybe refocusing and saying, like, I'm going for gold. I mean, yeah, that's great. If that's really your goal. Mm-hmm. Like you, want, you want to come away with a cookie? Please do. Mm-hmm. But I think just going into it, preparing your mind mentally and saying, like, I just want to do something today, whether that's survive or participate, know when to bow out. I've been working on my thrust and I'd love to land a single thrust within any of the pools that I have. Right, right, right. Yes. I think that's a huge, like mindset, like we've been saying is huge. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, there are people who are extremely competitive and extremely like tournament based. They want to come home with the cookies great like not knocking that whatsoever but for those of uh, like others who aren't as focused on the competition who Mm -hmm. or or who may be going like you were saying to to talk to people to meet new people to take the workshops to just enjoy the community yeah that's me too I I I honestly am like great I'm pregnant I don't have to go in and be in a (laughs) tournament I could just friends now great (laughs) great Um, I have an excuse now um but just just that like if you want to go in without that overwhelming because I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves I was thinking about um what you were saying about the perception of others looking at us Mm -hmm. and I don't know about you guys but when I go in I remember especially as an early fencer like when I first started all I could think of was, oh, my God, everybody's looking at me and probably thinking, what the hell am I doing? You know, because <laughs> yeah. I because, frankly, I was in there not knowing what I was doing. And I think that perception of ourselves and thinking about what others are thinking about us is a lot that especially newer fencers have in their minds. And I think mm-hmm. we just go in saying, you know, forget that and focus on that one thing you want to accomplish or focus on, Hey, after this, we're going to go get pizza and hang out and Mm -hmm. 
um, it changes the whole dynamic of it. I'm not saying don't be competitive. I've had people that I've known in the community who are like, well, this is very serious and you should take it very seriously. Right. Yes, if that's your goal, then that's your goal. But yeah, but if that's not your goal, no, I don't have to take this very serious or maybe taking this serious for me. You know, I felt personally the need to start tournament fighting because, you know, I felt as a femme presenting instructor that didn't have any medals under my belt. And that was one of the things that came up in conversation all the time, especially the more opportunities I got. How many medals do you have? Well, yeah. that's not my focus. That's not my goal. And especially as someone that lives with a chronic disease, a chronic disease in which um, prolonged high stress and pressure situations can trigger a flare up. Sorry, tournament fighting like wasn't what I wanted to do. And I felt outside pressure and internalized pressure to do it. And I right. did, and I haven't done it since. Um, and the thing is, is that any time that someone has come up to me since I've decided to not do this again and said, well, you know, how do you get or why do you get the opportunities that you do if you don't have medals under your belt? First off, it tells me more about them than it yes. does about myself. Second, mm -hmm. you know, use it as a point of honor. Use it as a badge of honor. Say, you know what? I've been able to gain my opportunity by completely staying within my window of tolerance, offering something else completely that is also needed and wanted by the community without having to go in there for cookies. And let that be normalized as well as being a completely desirable and worthy goal to have in Kima. Fuck yes. the medal. If all you want to do is show up once a week for your Saturday classes with your friends at your fencing club, and that is your goal, hell uh -huh. yeah. And you want to be, like, yeah. you want to be a gold medal fencer? Hell yeah, too. That's wonderful. Yes, Katie. And how many people HEMA may be using HEMA as a goal just to be more social, to be more connected, yeah. or mm -hmm. to try something? I joined HEMA with zero background in martial arts. Zero. Same. I, I didn't really care. I mean, I know this is going to be like sacrilege, but I didn't give a shit about swords. I joined him initially because I saw the community and was like, mm -hmm. wow, these people are so strong and, and like badass. And I remember th like, that's why I joined it. I didn't really care about if I could be great with a sword and uh, spoiler alert, I'm seven years later, I still kind of suck with a sword, but that's okay. Cause I have a great community. Right look at this as like maybe there are people who are doing this to be a part of something and maybe that's their yeah. number one goal because we've had people mm -hmm. join um the club i used to belong to over the years just for socialization just to try to be a part of a community so mm -hmm. and that and that for some people especially neurospicy people may be a huge gold medal for them that they got into a tournament they handled it they hung out with people and had a good time that could be massive for people. Absolutely, yes, Fran. Uh, one of my one of my students recently, uh, he has ADHD, and um, he came up to me in class to say, "I'm very sorry, Fran, but the rents in this area have got so high that I'm going to have to move to um, a different part of the country." And I said, oh, "I'm really sorry to hear that. I'll." I know where there's, there's some pubs around there I can put you in touch. And he was like, he said, oh, and I've really enjoyed coming here. I'm really, I'll be really sad mm -hmm. to leave. Um, and I was like, yeah, I know. It's really convenient having, because uh, he's very local. It's less than a mile from his house. 
Uh, he's literally around the corner from me. And he said, no, it's not just about the convenience. These are my people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm. see them every week. It's not like when you're at school and you can go up to a kid and go, shall we be friends? Yes, we're friends. As an adult, you don't get those opportunities anymore. And Why do people we do that as an adult? Just putting that out there. I want to just walk up to the cool tattoos and a pentacle necklace and be like, you look like you do witchcraft. Can we be friends? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, why can't it be that simple anymore? Anyways. That, okay, so uh, that, that, worked, that, worked, <laughs> that worked for me. <laughs> that worked for me. Like, when I met my, my, my boyfriend, I was like, hey, nice bud, you want to hang out? It was like we were at the same <laughs> tournament. I was like, nice bud, you want to hang out? He's like, okay, and here we are. Sometimes this was good to be direct. I don't know if it's just like we're like of the same type of like neuro spicy but like directness is like super important to us because we're we're not the type that like would guess so like yeah um but like you know in all seriousness though we are doing something a little different we ha- we're having an experimental like class in our club right now on fridays which i'm super excited um kristen argyle um started it and it's just like what do we want to work on and uh, you know nobody is like expected to like participate in all of the drills so if they just want to watch they can just sit and like watch or if they would just want to read the books um she had like a bunch of books out and so if they wanted to try the drill they're welcome to or if they just want to sit it out that's also fine and then we were doing like different like we had like two different weapons and then they had like other people just wanting to like play with like different like mixed weapons so it was like a really chill like vibe different from like what we have in our regular classes at um, the club that I um, that I'm in at the moment and it's really cool because people felt like especially me like I was able to just like feel like okay I can focus on this and like learn in a way that I can learn because you know the way that certain things are being run it just was never helpful for me um I do better with like you know like big picture and then explain to me how this is working in this specific scenario. And some people don't need that, but there's people like me who do. So it was like, you know, having that space for mm. for people like me who don't feel like, you know, who don't feel pressured is super great. Being able to um, offer different levels and approachability when it comes to like learning environments where it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be out of drills, it doesn't have to be this. So being able to offer more to your students so that there's more variety, and that can often be a stepping stone. Maybe someone doesn't want to start with combative drills with the focus exactly. of the fighter, but can get there over time, especially if they have the option mm-hmm. not to have to jump to that place because that's the only Right, thing. right, right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and, and I love that, like, you know, that there is such spaces as, like, quiet spaces, and I would love to see this in other, you know, it, to just let it be, like, you know like acknowledge that like there needs to be that space and that it needs to be like uh, respected right um so but I guess um the last question like I have um it's more of like a an advice type of thing um if you know we've talked about like what we can do for others and you know um and how we can support other people who might be you know going into this for the first time and feeling overwhelmed um my my last question before we end this session, um, you know, what advice would you give to someone who, 
you know, either is going into a tournament and not having anybody there, like if you could give like one or two advice on what they can do for themselves that either have helped you or you've heard that it helped someone in the past, like kind of like regulate themselves or like how to prepare themselves, like kind of like what Katie was saying, like she has her like um, uh, stuff that would bring her up and bring her down. Um, kind of like in that vein, like what would you give to someone? What advice would you give to someone to kind of like if you're if they're gonna be there, they're by themselves, right? They won't have the only a, person they have to trust. Yeah, they won't have a corner. They won't have support. They're just going into that tournament by themselves. What piece of advice, you know, or two would you give them to keep them like centered, to keep them, you know, from just like fully like melting down if possible. Whoever wants to go first. Yes, Fran. Um, my comment earlier about a corner, um, mm-hmm. you say, well, this person's going in and they don't have a corner. Yes, you do. Uh, you you find someone, even if you've never been there before. I did this when I went to um, Squatch 2016. When I met you! Grabbed. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you grabbed the nearest person uh it was jason barron's in my in my case i didn't realize who it was oh the best I was like can you con yeah and i was like i was like can you corner me and uh and he's like yeah sure um and if you are very new um mm-hmm. then i think you should have spent some time with your club practicing for tournament don't go into it uh blind have practiced have practiced having a corner don't be like and me. Get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. Yeah, like I was saying this in our last podcast where we talked about, where we reflected on your, your last event, um, that my colleague Lynette ran eight weeks of tournament simulator. So just have a piece. Uh, sorry, my colleague John, rather. It was Lynette's idea. So um, they created a piece with all the tournament conditions and people took turns cornering one another, uh, judging, refing, what have you. Um, but even if there is nobody there that you know, mm. grab someone. Hello, hello, new friend. What's your favorite dinosaur? Come and corner for me. <laughs> and um, yeah, I know. Yeah. And uh, so you, what you do is you, you get them and you tell them what you need. Like Kimmy says, tell people what your needs are. I need water. I need someone to remind me to do this. I need single word instructions. Yeah, that's it. Um, sometimes just having someone standing there can psychologically ground you and center mm-hmm. you. But if you need more than that, make it known um, and just plan ahead where you can. I know, I know, uh, tournaments are chaos, um, and they can be very, very stressful. But just having someone in your corner is a huge boost mentally and it can make you feel so much better even if you don't know anybody that would be that would be my advice mm-hmm. um and this is something i'm speaking to beginners here because i've got a batch of beginners uh, who are like two weeks in and i've been talking to them about the forgetting curve this is something that i'm uh, this is my latest obsession so um what i'm trying to sort of impress upon the new folks is that you are accountable your own learning i mm. am spoon feed you every wednesday but by tuesday by thursday 50 percent of that information has gone you know it's gone unless yeah. you take notes unless 
you revise and then you can top it up again then you're back to where you were and then on saturday do the same thing again so that when you come to me next week that stuff hasn't just gone and you're back to square one because mm-hmm. as we all know when we're starting out in hema a lot of information to take on and you know nothing and like by the time you've slept the information that you took in has gone so you want to, your job as a beginner is to show up and to try and retain as much information as possible. So take it outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. Have, the, have the tools to retain the information. Find out what kind of alert. Because most yeah. people don't know. Yeah. Uh, you, know, do you, uh, you know, do you learn by looking? Do you learn by writing stuff down? Do you need me to say it, send it to you in a voice note? You know, what is it you need? Do you need to see it yourself? Do you need to see the instructor facing away from you? Do you need to mirror them? All this kind of stuff. And it's the same with tournament prep. Don't just expect to have by osmosis absorbed all of the techniques to be a good tournament fencer. Mm -hmm. You need to have researched that and taken it on board and prepared yourself in terms of basic stuff. Like like I said last time in our podcast about this, people don't drink water. (laughs) They get so stressed out they forget to. They forget to drink. They forget to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they forget to breathe properly. So just you know, having something on your little checklist of breathe, eat, you know, do my exercises and all the rest of it. Just have um, have done your homework. Basically, right, right. Thank you, Fran. Um, Katie, I think um, I have some really good strategies that I give my my like students in my class. That's uh, just to clarify, I'm not an instructor. I'm a teacher by trade. Um, but but some strategies that work to ground people, no matter what you're dealing with, um, is the uh, it's called five, four, three, two, one grounding, where mm-hmm. you find like five things you can see, four things you can, you know, touch, two <laughs> things you can hear, two things you can smell, whoa, which is dangerous at a hematorn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Um, and one thing you can taste, so like using your senses to check in mm-hmm. with your body or even pushing your feet mm. really hard into the ground. So you're actually physically mm. grounding yourself. So like if you're really feeling out of control, those are two things. There's a thing called four, seven, eight breathing where you inhale for four seconds, hold it for seven and release slowly for eight mm-hmm. um, seconds. And that's huge because you're counting. So you're not thinking about all the things that are going through your head. But I guess I'd have to go mm. back to Lisa Lacito's amazing golden golden rule, as I'd like to call it, where just pick one thing, whatever it is. If it's survive or get through this pool or do something, whatever it is, pick one thing and focus on that. And that's it. You know, everything else can just fall as it's going to. And that would be like between that and communicating, like Fran was saying communicate with the person who's in your corner and if you don't have anybody exactly how she said pull somebody i think everybody is willing to step into that role mm-hmm. um i i i there was one tournament where they had like senior or older more uh, veteran-esque fencers step into the um beginner's pool as their coaches and i was like that's genius mm. because it's it's passing the torch and it's putting them into perspective of like, wow, like the beginner had this plethora of knowledge behind them that they can tap into. And then I think it humbled 
the veterans, as they called them, Mm -hmm. to see like, and maybe even remember what that felt like, which kind of might have humbled them a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think more tournaments should try to do that. It kind of unites the new people and the old people and then maybe opens won't be as scary or looked at as so scary. Thank you, Katie. Kimmy. <laughs> Kimmy. So I think um, all three of you have touched on a lot of great things uh, that people can do, whether they have that support or not, moving into a tournament. And I think what I want to do is instead of just reiterating what the three of you have said, is sort of use this as a way to tie back to how we started the podcast, which is learning to trust your gut. Mm-hmm. And learn how we build that relationship. And it is a vulnerable relationship to start developing. So if we use this advice where we pick one thing as a goal, mm-hmm. so achievable, we make it not overwhelming or less overwhelming by focusing on one thing. When we learn to communicate our triggers, and even if we're still learning, we can communicate that too when we pull that person aside to say, hey, can you corner for me? It's my first tournament. I don't know how I'm going to react, but maybe if you see something, point this out to me. Even not knowing is completely okay so long as you communicate that to someone. And again, this is setting yourself up for better chances for success as opposed to failure. And when we do this, When we set ourselves up for success, we start to slowly build that very vulnerable relationship of trust with the self. When we go, hey, I did that scary thing where I asked a stranger to come in and be my corner. And they did that, not just willingly, they were really happy and honored to do that. Boom, you get that confirmation in the head that goes, oh, maybe I am worth it. Maybe I can do that again. Maybe Mm -hmm. I could do that again. You go in there with one goal, not 17, one obtainable goal. Maybe that obtainable goal was I want to have at least one match where there's not a double hit. And then you go in there and you have that. Or maybe you exceed that. Every single match you had, there was no double hit. And then again, you're like, wow. Or let's just even say you fail. You at least go, well, I wasn't able to have a single match without a double hit. Well, now I have one attainable thing I can work on to keep improving. Mm -hmm. All of these things, all of these reinforcements are what allow ourselves to slowly over time build this shaky relationship of trust with ourselves, especially if that's a relationship, for whatever reason, we have had trouble cultivating through our lives. Wow. Thank you so much, everybody. Those were, I, 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 I'm so grateful that y'all agreed to come to the first episode of the year. And it is um, always a pleasure to have Fran and Kimi and finally Katie. Um, thank you for, for imparting your thoughts and your advice. Again, it's always helpful to get, you know, like um, just, you know, experienced advice from women and um you know 
Nayeds, Nayeds, um, who've been in this for so long. Um, so I really appreciate um, all of the input that y'all brought to me today, and hopefully um, others will learn something from it and get something from you know the advice that you've given me today and imparted to other newbies. And um, yeah, thank you so much again. And um, yeah, this is thank the end of our episode. Um, and I'll see you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, please become a supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash swords and mental health. Mm-hmm.